Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. All right, I want to welcome you to the 210 Initiative. Uh, this is our second week of this incredible series. And if you weren't with us last week, I want to encourage you to go to our website. You can watch it for free. You can watch the video or you can watch the audio or listen to the audio. And uh, you can also listen to it on the BC app uh, because I'll share some things today. I'll duplicate a couple things, uh, give you some facts that I gave last week, uh, but I'm not going to be able to share all the facts. So if you walk out having questions, you can check that out. And uh, the lesson was, I thought, did a great job. Also, last week, if you weren't here, we handed out an 18-page booklet. It's called the 210 Initiative. It has all the information in it. And you can go to one of the 210 centers in the north lobby. There's one in the west lobby. These are just sitting there. So take one home with you, and uh, it will fill you in. Now, for everybody that was here last week, and you'll be back next week, you'll hear me share some things, just a couple facts over. And uh, I, I want to tell you why. There's two reasons I do it. Number one, um, not everybody was here, so I have to repeat a few things for the people that weren't here. But here's the most important reason. I've lived in this now for six months. And vision is something you have to kind of like cook and think about. And so this is a vision series. So we're going to cook this a little bit. And it's really important for you to hear it a couple times so God can begin to grow you and God can begin to take you where he wants you to go in this thing. It's kind of like exercising. Very few people, there might be a couple. My wife may be one. There's probably a couple others that actually look forward to working out. Uh, most of us, we don't look forward to it, but we do it when we do it because we have to do it. We're always happy after we did it. And uh, this is going to be a little bit like exercise. So you can look at me like Arnold. I came from California and I'm going to pump you up a little bit today. That's bad Arnold, probably the worst Arnold in the country. <laughs> Everybody does Arnold, but I can't do him that well. And, uh, but it's going to be like a workout, so uh, it will be good when we're done today. You're going to walk out smiling. You're going to say, whoa, that was incredible. I talked to people in the lobbies after first service. They were so pumped up and excited, and I know that's going to happen today. Remember Philippians 2.10? That's our theme scripture, and you know what? The bottom line is everybody on this planet, before they hit eternity, before they die, they need to call on the name of the Lord. And if they don't do it here, they'll do it on the other side of eternity, but it doesn't save them. So as a church, our goals to go after the, everybody that doesn't know Christ and connect them with Christ. And we do a really great job as a church. And uh, 210's about us going to the next level. But did you know that within driving distance of believers, there's 210,000 people? So remember, Philippians 210, 210,000 people. We also have these wristbands. Um, somebody asked me what time it was today, and I said 210. And, uh, and, uh, and we all laughed like this. And, uh, but... I wear this now, and I just keep praying, saying, God, what's my place? What do you want me to do with 210? But think about 210,000 lives, 210,000 eternities. And as a church, remember last week, we talked about what we're doing as a church. We celebrated our fruit for 2014 and told you how I calculated that the numbers are conservative. But remember, this year, in this room, we're going to have 700 people that raise their hand to accept Christ for the first time. And if we count Paramount, we count super kids, it's going to be 1,200 plus kids and people that accept Christ. That is very, very fruitful. Remember this. this is, I'm just so excited about this. When we have membership and people go through membership, 
45% are what we call conversion growth, which means that they were unchurched before they came here. And the average church in America has 1% conversion growth. So 45% is like sky high, incredible numbers. We're fruitful as a church. So if you were to ask me, Pastor Joe, what's 210 all about? One of the first things I would tell you is 210 is about us becoming more fruitful as a church. It's about us becoming even more fruitful than we are. And then if you were to say, well, what else is it about? I would say to fully fund our outreaches and when you think about our outreaches, we're talking TV, we're talking um, Jefferson, which is an outreach to Jefferson School to the poor. We're talking planning churches. So if you were to say, is this about money? I would say, no, it's about discipleship. It's about souls. It's about taking it to a higher, num uh, higher level with helping the poor. All the things that Jesus called us to do as his people. It's also about launching our first BC campus. I thought this stat was amazing. There's 3,500 churches that close every year in America. And the numbers come up, this next number's come up. I'm so excited that it's come up. There's 3,000 new churches that open. But this nation is losing 500 churches a year that are closing their doors. We're minus 500 every year. And Believers is fruitful. So we can take what we do here, we can duplicate it and bring it to other communities. And I'm really, really excited about that. Here's one more thing that it's going to do, help us uh, to renovate our facilities on the children and the student side. And talk to you last week, listen to lesson one if you weren't here, that's a barrier for us. And uh, we have, you know, 1960, 1950s, all throughout that building. And all the details are in page 11 of what we're going to do, but it's going to enable us to do that. And here's what I want to talk about today. Here's where we're going today. This is a cool saying, tomorrow starts today. And we want to just emphasize the fact that we're a generational church. I'm so excited that we're a generational church. And we're going to highlight one of our ministries. It's called Paramount. That's our student ministry. And the first step in highlighting this part of God, this part of church, is by just letting you see, letting you meet Paramount by watching this video. So check this video out, guys. One of the things that I love the most about Believer's Church is that we're a place that cares about and believes in the next generation. And we realize that tomorrow starts today. And this last year has been an incredible journey. After Joe and I started uh, leading Paramount, we had a leader vision night at our house and we had a bonfire and just hung out and uh, ate some good food. And along with that, Joe cast the vision of what we wanted to see with Paramount. One of the things he said that night, he coined a little phrase or a pun, uh, he called it prayer amount. And I really believe that really stuck and it's, it's been uh, what we have been for the past year, uh, prayer amount, all about prayer, just involving God in everything and making it um, bigger than us. And I believe that because we've done that, uh, that's why we've seen all this growth and amazingness. I remember at Joe and Aaron's bonfire, I was really excited. I saw where we were headed as Paramount. I saw the students that we wanted to reach, the impact that we wanted to make in our community. And for me, I was really excited because I knew uh, we were headed in a good direction. My start with Paramount was probably a little different than most. I was still living in Southern California at the time, and I got a call from Joe Jr. I knew I was gonna be moving to Ohio in a month. And he was just saying, hey, we have this thing called Paramount that we'd love for you to be a part of. And I really didn't know exactly what was going on, but when I got here, I was so impressed by what God was doing. Well, I love networking with people. I love getting on the phone. Uh, 
pursuing people, taking them out, hanging with them. And I just remember the first week that we took Paramount, I had a message that was all about being countercultural and living in the opposite direction of really what culture teaches. And I could really tell that the students were getting a hold of it. But there were only 15 students there. And uh, the next week there were 40 students and it was incredible. We were leading up to this event called The Fives. And the very next week, just three weeks removed, we had 140 students there. And we were packed into this room like sardines. And we didn't fit and it stunk really bad, but it was incredible because that night 20 people gave their lives to the Lord. And we began to see this thing start to take shape that we never could have expected. And it was incredible to begin to watch what God started to do through that. It was really awesome to watch the love and the hope of God grow when you see Paramount buy into the vision that Pastor Joe Jr. had, when you see it grow from 15 to 140 in the matter of three weeks. One night that changed Paramount forever was a night called Don't Miss This Wednesday, where we challenged students to cross the line. And it was so cool to see over 60 students cross the line and say, I'm going to live for Jesus. And that very next week, they all took that plunge and they got baptized. And it was so amazing to see these lives that were once one way and now we're going to be completely transformed. And we got to experience that. I cannot even explain the feeling I had inside watching these people make those decisions. The moment that the Paramount students crossed the line this year was so major. I was just extremely proud of a lot of the students because they really made a decision to grow and um, take it further with their relationship with God. Last year, it's really fun to know five students really well, and eventually, you know, you know, 20, 25 students really well. It's just so cool to watch them connect with God and His purpose for their lives. For me, probably the most memorable moment this past year was when our seniors graduated. Um, the reason why is that our students, I started with them when they started back in sixth grade, and to watch the progression of them growing from sixth to twelfth grade was just remarkable. Since starting Paramount, I see myself more as a leader rather than just one in the crowd. It's really cool to see how God is using me in ways that I never thought were possible. My dream for Paramount is to help them help others just like they helped me. I, I think my dream for Paramount would be to see the people whose lives have been changed five years from now, maybe 10 years from now, maybe 20 years from now, turning around and turning other people into followers of Jesus Christ. And no clue how that'll look, but I know that that's what's happened in my life, and that's my prayer for every single student and every single leader is that years and years from now, maybe they won't be in Paramount, maybe they'll be on the other side of the world, but what God did here, He's going to use it for the rest of their lives. It would be easy to look at what God did in Paramount over the last year and be satisfied and say, hey, that's good enough for me, but I think God's calling us forward, and although we've impacted hundreds, I believe we're called to impact thousands. There are thousands of students in this area that need the hope and love that is only found in Jesus. And I think we're going to bring it to them. Isn't it exciting to see big groups of kids like that worshiping God and living for God? That's paramount. We're so excited about it. Hey, I raised four kids. My youngest just turned 23, had two boys and two girls, and... I've watched parents for 31 years now raise kids in our church. I've watched kids grow up, and I've just watched, and I've learned two things. I think in order to have your kids come out of high school and want to go to church and want to serve God, there's two things. The first thing is just simply live God in front of them at home. Be authentic. Live God. Don't let them see anything hypocritical. Gene and I did that. 
But I'm convinced that in and of itself is not enough. There's one other thing you need to do. You need to hook them into what I call positive peer pressure. And that's why, you know, we had, we had four kids in five and a half years, and I was always here. Gina and I have never come to church together. I come really early, and then she comes. And when their kids were young, she would drag our four kids here all by herself, and, and I so respected her and loved her for doing that. And, and she'd get them into, you know, Kids for God and then Super Kids, but it impacted and changed their lives like crazy. And then we made sure they were here every Wednesday night for Paramount, they were in sports or activities at school, we would just say, hey, we need to tell your coach, 6.30, you're leaving Wednesday nights to come here. And I figured even if that hurt their place on the team, that's, that's cool, but we gotta put God first. But I did that for a reason. I watched so many families before my kids came up, I watched them lose their kids. And I didn't wanna see that happen in our kids' lives. And it's amazing. I remember one day we're sitting uh, in our family room at home and there's this tornado uh, whatever warning, I believe they spotted one, and I'm, I'm with the kids and Gina. I said, "Let's get down in the basement." And I get up to go down in the basement, and Joey, Joe Jr., he was probably eight or nine, and he just looks at me. He says, "Dad, Pastor Mike, that was our children's pastor at the time." He said, "Pastor Mike Roberts wouldn't do this, Dad." He said, he speaks to storms and he prays. He said, you didn't even pray. He goes, we're just running in the ba basement without you praying. And I'm thinking, man, I love that positive peer pressure. It felt really bad, but uh, I just wanted to get in the basement. And uh, I don't have weather face, so I was like, I'm just getting in that basement, Joe. But uh, I love to see what God did for them. But here's what's really cool. When they were, when they were young, you know, we all want to think our kids never deal with anything, but they do deal with things. And I talked to all of our different youth pastors over the years, and they would tell me how those, your kids and our kids would come to them and tell them, hey, I'm dealing with pornography. I'm dealing with sex outside of marriage. What I love about services like that, if I preached on purity and did an altar call, not one of your kids would come up because they're, they're in front of you. And uh, they just won't do that in front of their parents. But back there, our youth pastors over the years, they preach on purity. They say, hey, if you're sexually active, if you're into pornography, uh, I want you to come give it up to Jesus and just make, make it right with God. And they'd have all those kids just flood the altar. It changed their lives. And that's why I say we would not have been able to raise our kids without the help of church. And it's really, really important. Let me tell you something else. This is a quote from the founder of MTV, his name's Bob Pittman, he said this. He said, if you can get their emotions going, forget their logic, you've got them. At MTV, we don't shoot for the 14-year-olds, we own them. And I think it's terrible, it makes me a little angry when the world says, we know how to own your kids. And I think the church, we should be uh, as smart as a serpent, right? And, and uh, as nice as a dove, but as smart as a serpent. And we need to be smart and know we need to raise, reach these kids. And the way to re reach them is through youth ministry. And 210 about us taking our youth ministry to an entirely different level. Our 40th president said this. Listen to what our 40th president, uh, president said. He said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. And this isn't about politics, it's not about the government, but I think our president, Ronald Reagan at that time, 
I think he understood something. You know what he understood? We can lose something in one generation. And that's why here at Believer's Church, we are what we call generational, because we understand that. And I don't want this church to be a church that does so well, and then we lose a generation and we fell. So that's why we stay culturally relevant. And I think we do an incredible job as a church. When I talk to our worship people and, and we sit down and decide what we're going to do and how we're going to look, I always tell them, hey, when we do music, we want to do a couple songs for guys my age and up, you know, but we want to do some songs that capture the younger generation because these kids that accept Christ when they come to church I don't want them to be bored out of their minds I want to make it interesting I want to make it something that captures them so we're generational and I think I think our musicians I think our singers do an incredible job in here with that particular part but let me tell you a couple stories let me remind you of a couple stories um, in the book of Judges it's an incredible book it's a great read for this week it's not that long but you would see Israel and they would fall into this terrible, deep sin. And then God would raise up a judge, a leader, and that leader would bring that generation up to serving God. That leader would die, and it happened every single time. He would die, she would die, and then the nation would go back into sin. And what they gained, they would lose in one generation. They'd be wallowing in sin. God raised up another leader. And I believe that just paints the picture for us of how easy it is to lose something that you have. So that's why here at Believers, we're generational. Think about this. Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And the Pharaoh became nervous because Israel kept growing in numbers. And he would look at Israel and say, pretty soon they're going to have more people than we do. He feared them. So do you know what he did? He began to kill all the male babies. And every male baby that was born, he said, put them to death. And he knew, I, I can wipe out a generation. If I wipe out a generation, I win. And our enemies thinking the same thing. If I can wipe out a generation of our kids, we can win. And that's why church has to be really, really strong. And I love Moses' mom. She said, I'm not going to listen to that. She put him in a little ark, and she set him in the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter saw him. Her baby died at birth. She pulls it in, and she says, I now have a baby. And she raised Moses, an Israeli boy, in Pharaoh's uh, castle and God used him in incredible incredible ways think about Herod he heard Jesus was born and think about how deceitful Herod was he said to the wise men he said tell me where this Jesus is I want to go worship him I just want to worship this Jesus but what he wanted to do is kill Jesus and when when he was fooled by the wise men do you know what he did he had every male child two years and younger put to death and there was wailing in Jerusalem our enemies deceitful and he knows if I can get that next generation, I can stop what God's doing. But here at Believers, man, we understand that next generation is really, really important. Here's some stats that blew my mind. 2014, and uh, this is Barner Research, uh, so it's really recent. Here's what they did in case you want to know how they obtained these stats I'm going to share. They asked people like us. They asked Christians all over America, and they took a cross-section of Christians. They said this, when was it that you accepted Christ? When did you accept Christ? What age? That's all they wanted to know. And, and here's what they came up with. They came up with this stat, and it goes like this. Nearly one out of two, 43% of born-again Christians made their commitment to Christ before turning 13. Does it show you how important children's ministry is? Really, really important. How about this next one? Two out of three, 66% of born-again Christians made their commitment to Christ before turning 18. 
Think about that. That's when they're the ripest. Their hearts are open. How about this? One out of eight, 13% of born-again Christians make their commitment to Christ between the ages of 18 and 21. I accepted Christ at 19. Do you see how the number drops as we become older? Now, here's what I'm not saying. We ha- we're going to have 700 people, most of them adults, accept Christ in this service in this service this year. So uh, we go after every age group. But can you see why the enemy goes after this age group? Can you see how their hearts are open for something? They're looking for something to believe in. The enemy knows that. How many believe the church should know that? And we should say, we're going to go after this generation with a passion. And so for all of us, man, I'm so excited that I've lived the life that I've lived. And I have, you know, four kids. I have two grandkids. And I'm looking forward to more grandkids. And I'm looking forward to great grandkids. And I'm looking forward to growing old with those of you that are my age. We're going to grow old together. We're going to have a great time. And we're going to look back and we're going to say, we took the next generation and the next generation is serving God and loving God and they're on fire I believe we're going to look back we're we're dreaming now we're going to look back and say that 210 initiative it pushed us to an area to where we went to 1200 a year saved the 3000 a year saved And I'm just asking you dream with me a little bit and when you dream and you want to multiply God's in the church just multiplying uh, it's going to cost you something but it's always worth it's all it's always worth it there's a show on TLC it's called uh, uh, making room for multiples and uh, some of you probably have watched this show my kids love this show making room for multiples and uh, the premise of the show is parents can't have kids they're not able to so they use fertility methods and then they have lots and lots of kids. Some have triplets, quadruplets. Some have sextuplets. Can you imagine that coming at one time? But here's the, here's the idea of the show. They find out they're pregnant with sextuplets or quadruplets or whatever, and now they know they're pregnant, and now they have to change their whole life to make room. And it's all about making room. It's about the sacrifice. Some of them have to buy new homes. It's pretty cool. I was watching clips online of it. And uh, one couple, they're going to have four, four babies all at once. And so they're stacking these cribs. They're stacking two up here and two up here. They're building them into the walls. And uh, mom has to come live with them or mother-in-law has to come live with them. Or they have to find a relative to come live with them. They just need more hands. And if any of you have ever had twins, you know how tough twins are. Think about four. Think about six. Think about five, and it's absolutely amazing. And when you watch this show, what you learn is, man, if you want to multiply, you have to prepare for it, and you just watch them preparing. It's, it's really, really cool. Well, I'll tell you what. My family, I grew up in a family with seven boys. I had six brothers, and my daddy and mommy were multipliers. And so they, they multiplied. And uh, it's amazing what happens in a family like that. Uh, my dad worked a lot of hours, and he wanted to build a home, and he bought a lot on Valley Camp Southeast. When, when, and we moved into that house when I was six months old, but he bought it five and a half years before, and he built our first house that we grew up in. He built it himself. It took him five and a half years. He went to Newcastle's uh, School of Trade and learned how to lay block and brick, and he laid the block and the brick in that house. He went out every night after work a little bit, and he worked you know, three or four hours, and he built that house by himself. Every now and then, his dad came out to help him. And when I was six months old, they moved into that house. And I remember growing up with seven boys. My dad would buy a half a cow 
twice a year. And we ate meat sparingly. He'd buy a couple pigs twice a year. And you know, you know how Italians are with their sausage. And, and so he would, buy, he would buy all this stuff in bulk. And mom, mom used to make lunches for us boys. Think about all those lunches. It was like an assembly line. And we all went to parochial school in our early years. And she's ironing dress pants and, and white cotton dress shirts. Can you imagine? I'd see her up till midnight doing that. That kind of thing will cost you. Whenever you make room, it costs. And the funniest story ever, my dad has some funny stories. And when we get together, I just say, Dad, tell us this one again. Tell us that one again. And one of the funny stories is they just had my youngest brother, Pat, this number seven. My mom's in the hospital. That's back when you stay in the hospital a week or so. She's in the hospital. And my dad says, I want to end this thing. We're never going to have a girl. Let's end it. And uh, my mom says, we can't, Jim. We can't. And my dad says, why not? She says, and they, they were really good Catholics. They followed the Catholic faith. And uh, back then, I don't know if they still believe it, but back then it was a sin to practice birth control. And my mom said, Jim, it would be a sin. And my dad's saying, I can end it. Let me go to the doctors. I can stop this thing. My mom's, no, no, it would be a sin. So here's what my dad does. He has funny stories like this in all areas of his life. So he goes to the doctor and says, I want to take care of this. And the doctor says, well, your wife has to sign a consent form. He says, oh, she's in the hospital. I'll run it over to her right now. So he takes that form. He drives around for 15 minutes. And he was a chain smoker at the time, so he probably smoked a half pack or something. He goes back into the parking lot. He signs. He forges my mom's name. He forges her name. And he takes it up to the doctor and said, here, my wife, my wife said, go ahead. And uh, so the doctor does his procedure, and my dad goes back to the hospital. And he looks at my mom, and he said, guess what? I took care of it. We, we can't have any more kids. My mom has tears come to her eyes. She said, we're going to go to hell. And, uh, this would make a great Hollywood story, you know. My dad looks at her and says, no, if that's true, I'm going to go to hell. I, you didn't know anything about it, so you get to go to heaven. And talk about my dad, gave, my dad was willing to go to hell for my mom. That's how much he loved her. Or was he trying to avoid hell by having one more kid? <laughs> Might be, that's probably it after having four kids. It's a lot of money and a lot of work. Can you agree it costs a lot of money to raise kids? It really does. Now, now think about this, guys. We're called the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ, man, when we become intimate with Jesus and we get to know him, you know what we should do? We should pop babies out, spiritual babies. Churches should pop spiritual babies out. And I think a lot of churches, they've gone to the doctor and they've been fixed. They're not having any more kids. And God wants us to be fruitful. And two tens about us being fruitful. Here's the problem. It's easier to maintain than to multiply. And what I want to do is just fire us up as a church in two ten about asking what's our place and about taking a step up in discipleship and beginning to multiply. Here's three pictures. There's, there's, these pictures are in your booklets, but I want you to check them out. Uh, here's three pictures. Here's, here's what the, the new youth room and the children's room, Super Kids Paramount, that's what it's going to look like, and you'll see it on the TV screens outside. And then this next picture is the hallway right outside. And I just want you to see it. I want you to dream with me about the barriers being knocked down over there. So 63,000 people that live within driving distance of here that have kids 18 and under, we won't have any barriers stopping them when they come. Here's a picture of a lounge we'll make where the east and south hallways meet. I'm really, really excited about what God's going to be able to do. So I want to talk to you about your place. I want to talk to you. And all this information is in the booklet, so I'll just say a little bit. Then I have, I have a thought for the day that's going to change our lives. But I'm not so much interested in the money as I am spiritual growth in all of our lives. And I want you to think about it. 
On November 23rd, when we bring, we bring our pledge cards in, here's what I'm believing God for. I want to be able to tell you, we had people that weren't giving. We had hundreds, several hundred people that weren't giving that became first-time givers. That's a win to me. I don't care what they do, just that they begin to give. I want to be able to tell you, we have occasional givers. You know what an occasional giver is? If they're in church, they might give a 10, they might give a 20, whatever they have in their wallet. If they miss three weeks, they don't give for three weeks. That's occasional. And here's where my heart bleeds. They're only allowing God to be an occasional blesser in their lives. And God wants to bless us at a much higher level. So I'm asking people that become first time and occasional, I want to encourage you to take up to this step. It's an intentional giver. Here's an intentional giver. They say, I'm not ready to tithe. That, that's too big, but I want to give consistently. So they intentionally give. Say they, they say, I want to give 5% of my income to God. And if they made 50000 a year, that's 2500 a year. And you know that's only 50 bucks a week. I don't even think you'll miss it, but you know what you'll do? You'll put the grace of God into your life in an incredible way. We're asking intentional givers to go up and become a tither. The tither believes in the biblical 10%. And as you and I tithe, it just releases God to do incredible things. I could have people pop up like popcorn that are tithers in here, and they could tell you story after story of what God's done in their lives. And then I'm going to ask the tithers to become extravagant givers. Gina and I have been extravagant givers for 31 years, our whole married life, and that just means you give somewhere above the tithe. And I'm going to ask extravagant givers like Gina and I, we're asking God, what step can we take up? And we're really excited about what God's going to have us do. So your numbers, all the numbers are on page 10 in your booklet. Just take a look at, this is what we expect to come into our general fund, guys, um, in the next two years. And 210 is about us continuing to give what we give and just simply giving above it. So we expect this to come into our general fund. Uh, year one would be 2,125,000. Year two, 2,125,000. So 210 begins January of 2015. It ends December of 2016. And what we're asking you to do is say, God, here's what I'm doing. I'm going to take a step up. And when you look at this, if you've never run a big company or you've never pastored a church, you could look at that and say, you have enough money to do it right there. But I want to tell you, man, there's bills. Uh, we have a mortgage on this building, uh, utilities. Uh, our, our staff is to the bare minimum. Uh, we, do everything, uh, just, we do everything with excellence. I have a board of trustees. I submit budgets to them. They okay them. They change them. Uh, it's incredible. I submit myself to authority. And so this isn't about me getting a raise or anyone else. This is about us taking it up to the next level for the next generation. And here's what we need to raise. And this is in, on page 10 in your booklet. Uh, building renovations, we need to raise $1.5 We had that bidded out. It's accurate. Campus is 70K just to get them started. And outreach is 180K. And I explained uh, all that to you last week. And then here's what it looks like. We expect 4250 to come in in the general fund over the 210. And here's what we need to raise, $1,750,000. And I am convinced that God will do that easily in our church. We have it here. It's going to be incredible. But here's what I want you to walk out remembering. You ready? Generosity isn't something God wants from us, but for us. The 210 is about asking God, what's my step? And remember, I have people come up to me and say, Pastor, I don't make much. And I say, it doesn't matter. God's a God of percentages. Uh, I gave when I was a student. I was poor and I gave. Uh, but God, God blessed. And I shared that story last week. Let me show, share a story with you. This is what I call the phone call story. And uh, Gene and I, to build this building, we, uh, we gave big. We, we gave big to this. And we were excited to do it. But then we came upon this time in our life 
and we had to tie into the sewers. Long story at our house, but I had to tie into the sewers. It was going to cost us a good chunk of money to do that. And then we had a wedding to pay for and didn't have the savings for it. And I remember looking at Gina and I said, honey, um, let's just thank God we give and it's given back to us. Let, let's rejoice because we're generous. God's going to be generous because generosity isn't something God wants from us, but for us. And then one day, shortly after that, I received a phone call. Let me tell you a little bit about the guy on the other end. When we started this church in 83 and 84, he, he, he was in high school. Uh, he had no father in his life. His mom had chemical dependency, and he had a lot of struggles in his life. And I would spend a couple hours a week with this guy counseling him week after week after week. And I did that for him all the way through high school. He graduated, and I didn't see him for nearly 20 years. And I prayed for him often. I just prayed for him. I said, Lord, I wonder what happened to him. And I'd pray for him. And then he's the one that called me. He's on the other end of the phone. And he says, hey, you remember me? And I said, I sure do. I've prayed for you before. And he says, well, I want to let you know I live in Dallas, Texas. He said, I'm a multimillionaire. I just sold a business for millions. And I said, well, how are you doing spiritually? I didn't, I, that was good. But I said, he goes, I go to church every week. He said, I'm married. I have kids. He said, my life is living for God, full blast. And I was so excited to hear it. And then he said this. He said, here's why I called. He said, I want to let you know how I'm go doing. And he said, I'm, God told me to write you a check. And I said, no, no, no. I'm like, no, no. He goes, yeah, God told me to write me a check. He wrote me a check that paid for the wedding, paid for the sewer tie-in, and I had leftover money. And, and this is what I've learned. When we give, it opens the door up for God to do incredible things in our life. And I have story after story like that because when you give, God gives back. Uh, listen to the Philippians 4, 16, 17. Paul writes, even when I was in Thessalonica, you helped me more than once. I'm not trying to get something from you, but I want you to receive the blessing that comes from giving. So often we think, I only make this much. And God says, don't look at it as a piece of pie. Look at it as a seed. He says, it's a seed. And when you plant it, he says, I can grow it and do all kinds of things in your life. And so I'm excited for these folks because they're going to begin to see God do some incredible things as they take steps up. I'm excited for us guys and us guys to just go a little higher because God just keeps blessing you. Listen to this scripture. It's really cool, guys. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It reads like this. Everyone must make up his own mind as to how much he should give. Aren't you glad God says it's up to you? He says, now he's talking to me. He says, Joe, don't force anyone to give more than he really wants to, for cheerful givers are the ones God prizes. Now, as a pastor, it's, it's, you, you've got to fight off temptations of being forceful. You, you, you cannot manipulate God's people. So here's what God expects a pastor to do. Read scriptures and let God do the rest. Teach scriptures and, and treat people with the dignity that Jesus treats them with. Treat people as if they're precious because every one of you are precious. And here's all I want to do is can, you know, help you get to another step in your discipleship. And it's interesting, in verse 6, you know what he said? He that gives sparingly will reap sparingly. He who gives generously will reap generously. And then he deals with attitude. He says, guys, give with a cheerful heart. That means you need to have faith. That's why I'm doing this little bit of teaching right now. I want to build your faith up so you can give cheerfully. You can say, you know what? I believe the Bible, and I'm going to do it. Don't we do that in every other area of the Bible? We sure do. Now listen to the very next verse. This is the phone call verse. It goes on and says this, verse 8. God is able to make it up to you. Isn't that cool? God makes it up to you one way or another. It may not be a phone call, but it will be something by giving you everything you need and more so that there will not only be enough for your own needs, I like this, but plenty left over to give joyfully to others. And as you're sitting here, 
remember, this is not about money. This is about discipleship and God growing us in an area. But why is he going to grow this in generosity? He doesn't want to take something from you. Can you see it in the scriptures? He wants to get something to you. So we have this huge day coming. It's a very spiritual day in our church. It's the weekend of November 22nd and 23rd. And on that weekend, you're going to be praying for the next couple weeks. You're going to bring back a pledge card. Can you grab the pledge card on your seat? I just want you to take, take a look at it. You're going to bring this pledge card back, and, and you're, going to, you're going to find out from God what he wants you to do. So you want to be generous and support what God is doing at Believer's Church. Here's a quick step-by-step -step guide to help you fill out the 210 Initiative pledge card. Step one, fill in the first space with what your typical annual giving is towards the general fund. Step two, in the space below, add any annual giving that goes towards BCTV or missions. Step three, take that leap of generosity and commit to a gift for the first year of the 210 initiative. Multiply that by two and you have your full two-year commitment. Now, if God is leading you to give from your current accumulated resources, like stocks, savings, and other assets, you can add that additional gift in the final space. For any other information about the 210 initiative, you can visit believers.cc 210. Thank you so much for supporting what God is doing here at Believers Church by being a part of the 210 initiative. All right, now take a look at the back of the card real quick. And this is something cool. This shows you what we have to have people do and how many in order to reach our goal. It's pretty simple when you look at it like this. And I've been praying, you know, see how we need one gift of 400000 I've been praying for God to have someone write a check for a million. Can you guys agree with me in prayer? Now, if you don't have it, it's not you, so relax, it's not you. But, but there are people that have it, guys, that can do it. So please, don't be nervous. Now, the, the 400000 that's for the whole two years. It's what you're giving and your addition. It's for the whole two years. And, and, and look, at we need 24 people to give 40 for two years. That would be your giving. And, and take a look. And here's what I've been doing, Gina and I. Lord, we can't do the top several there, Lord, but what can we do? And we're just praying, saying, God, we want, we want to do our best. And that's, that's what we're asking you to do. So take this home, pray. The weekend of 22nd, 23rd, encourage you to come. It's going to be a really spiritual time, guys. Now, here's how I'm closing. You ready? Can we pray right now? Let's pray. Lord, I've done my best to teach an incredible part of the Bible. Father, I emulated what Paul did. I taught just like he did to the Corinthians and I taught like he did to the Philippians. Lord, I know a lot of people here have been in some churches where pastors aren't gracious when they do this, and I hope they see the difference, Lord. Lord, some people become so nervous about money, and I ask you, Father, to help them understand this is all about grace. This is about you dealing with their heart, them following you, so you can bless them. Lord, we thank you for blessing us. And Lord, here's our prayer. We want to be a multiplying church, Lord. We want to be spiritual duggers, Lord. We want to have 18 and counting, Lord. We want to just keep, keep multiplying as a church. So show us what our part can be in this area of finances. Lord, show others here that aren't volunteering. Show them where they can volunteer. Show us all where we can do a part in every area of our lives, Lord God. And we thank you for this spiritual time as a church where we're reminding ourselves we exist to see a city connected with God to turn people into fans, friends, and followers. Lord, we make this a spiritual moment in our day right now. Can we stay in an attitude prayer? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Listen, listen. If you're visiting, you know what you just learned? This church loves me. This church is raising funds. This church is sharing vision so they can 
they can connect me with God. So you just realize how much we love you. We're excited you're here. Hey, if you're here and you can't remember a day when you made it personal and you accepted Christ as your Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You know, Jesus said, whoever calls on my name, I'll save them. That's what he said. So I'm not asking you if you're a member of a church. I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm not asking you if you're water baptized. Here's what I'm asking you. Can you remember a day when you made it personal and you said, Jesus, I receive you as Savior? If you're here and you can't, why not today, man? If you believe, say, I'm ready to pray, Pastor Joe. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here and that's you, would you pray with me right now? If you mean it from your heart, the miracle happens. Everyone else in the room, can you help them? Say this after me. Say, Lord God, I repent for all my sins. And today, I give my heart to Jesus. Jesus, I believe. I receive you as my Savior. And I make a decision today to follow you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.